Welcome to this episode of Saintly Witnesses, where I talk to the Catholic behind the account. Um, today I'm speaking with Scott Weeman, who is the founder of Catholic in Recovery. Uh, today he's going to come through and give us some of the nature of the work that they do at his nonprofit and give a little bit about his faith journey, his reversion uh, back to the Catholic Church. So thank you for uh, coming on and giving us this, you know, essential information. It's my pleasure to be here with you today. Yeah, thank you. And so Catholic in Recovery is a nonprofit that Scott founded. Um, pretty much this nonprofit is an organization dedicated to aiding individuals with attachments and addictions, various sorts of addiction, addictions ranging from, um, you know, uh, gambling, alcohol, whatever the attachment or addiction is that is preventing people from living to the fullest. Um, Scott and his organization, they can assist with that. So he's going to give us some information about how he started it and like the work that he do there. So uh, let's get started with the interview. Um, I know that you are a revert to the Catholic Church. So tell us a little bit about, you know, your faith journey. How was it growing up, middle life and adult life and how ultimately you had this reversion to the church? Yeah, I would. Um, so I grew up in, in um, a rural part of Wisconsin, just south of Green Bay. And uh, I guess I'm identified as a revert um, because I was born into the church, but not really. I mean, just so to some degrees, but I was you know, baptized as an infant, um, received my sacraments growing up. But we, you know, have a family where we were attending mass on Christmas and Easter, maybe one or two extra credit holidays or, or extra credit weekends a year. Um, but and then on Wednesday nights, we'd be dropped off at the local church for CCD, where we'd be there for an hour, an hour and a half, and then come back. But um, so there wasn't a ton of like integration of my faith into the rest of my life. It was just, you know, Wednesday nights, we go to CCD holidays, we go to church because it was some kind of an obligation, but that was about the faith that I grew up with. Um, although, you know, loving parents and uh, really great you know values growing up that really helped kind of solidify a lot of empathy and, and, and care um, for me. Now, you know, living in life as a normal kid, it really involved in sports school, you know, it was in, on the debate team in high school uh, earned a scholarship to go to a school in New York City. So I was going from small town, Wisconsin, about 2,000 people, uh, to a university downtown Manhattan, which is a big change. Um, just prior to that, towards the end of my well, like my junior year of high school, I took my first drink. And um, it was actually right around, within, the, within, a first, within a couple of weeks of receiving my confirmation. So, you know, I was uh, receiving the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which I wouldn't have been able to articulate to you at the time at all. Um, but I was also familiarizing myself with myself with these other spirits, you know, that, that were doing for me quicker than the fruits of the Holy Spirit were doing. Um, and so, you know, I found that alcohol and later drugs and other addictive compulsive behaviors um, were, were a solution to some of my problems. They helped kind of an inroad into some kind of social life or at least helped me relieve myself of whatever anxieties I um, was dealing with at the time. And so it really became my primary coping skill, but also my primary really like means of celebrating and such. So I moved out to New York City after my senior year of, of high school, where I found myself really that summer and then into my first semester of college, using drugs on a regular basis, drinking on a regular basis, skirting all of my other responsibilities, and um, really just looking for pleasure in all the wrong places. My debate scholarship uh, lasted only three semesters as I got notices to um, improve my academic performance, which I didn't do. And so then kind of came back to, to my hometown, Wisconsin, with my tail between my legs, depressed, you know, anxious, 
concerned that my identity was, you know, shattered and, um, but didn't really stop my behavior. You know, I thought that this was just kind of a, a short-term thing or just full of self-centeredness. So continued to drink, use drugs, got a second DUI at the age of 21, went to 15 day treatment center where I, after that stayed sober for about eight months. Um, but really just by white knuckling it, there was no spiritual approach to my recovery at that time. Um, it was, it was very little. I just kind of told myself, you know, I gotta be too young to be an alcoholic, but I also recognize that there are some consequences to my drinking. So to keep my parents and everyone else off my back, I'll just not drink. That only lasted so long. And around the time that I began dating this girl who was from a great Catholic family, I also began using drugs and alcohol. And uh, again, that relationship with this girl went on and off, on and off until we moved to San Diego, where I now live. And um, about a year after into that trip, which I thought that if I, you know, making a geographic change, such as moving 2000 miles away, might help just automatically change some of my behaviors, which is like changing seats in the Titanic, hoping you're not going to go down with the ship. You know, there needed to be some internal change, not just changing the circumstances or the lights around me. Um, so a year later in 2011, um, which my, my idol who, you know, she had become my God, um, had enough and, and set the, the necessary boundaries that she had to, had to, you know, had to set for herself, which prompted me then to seek help. And I found that help in 12 step recovery groups and in the Catholic church mostly. And, and kind of my first, my inspiration at first was just to win back my ex-girlfriend. So I thought that if I looked like a good Catholic boy for long enough, couple, you know, a month or so, um, and looked like I was sober, that it might help my chances of winning her back. That never happened, but it was enough of an opening, just cracking the door open enough where God could kind of blow the door off of its hinges. And so I found in this community of my parish um, locally, a great group of young adults who were active in their faith. You know, I kind of thought that resigning myself to recovery and a life of faith was going to be, was going to keep joy from really penetrating my life any further. Um, I couldn't have been further from the truth, you know, but I was just stuck in this very self-centered lifestyle and it needed change. And God allowed that to happen through a lot of awesome people and a lot of awesome relationships, you know, men and women in recovery who shared experience, strength and hope with me, you know, kind of gave me this, like, I, I know where you've been. I, I actually, in fact, after my first recovery meeting, man, that changed my life, really saved my life. And it darted across the room, looked me in the eyes and said, I know exactly how you feel right now. You don't ever have to drink again. And that was a game changer for me. That was a difference. That was different from the way that my concerned loved ones and family members and friends were speaking to me, which was reminding me of all the things that I had lost, all the things that I was going to keep losing. But it was someone sharing from this place of experience and hope. You know, I know how you feel. You don't ever have to drink again. And that man spent a lot of time with me working through a lot of the principles of recovery, spiritual in nature, and also tying those together with the Bible and, you know, this, the tenets of our faith. And so from there, really launched this new lifestyle that, you know, one day at a time, I, I work really hard to maintain and protect because I don't ever want to go back to the hell that I came from. Okay. Well, and that's a, a very strong uh, testimony that you just shared of, of how, you know, through fa faith and strong relationships that you were able to, you know, come out of addiction. And I'm starting to see, I guess, the seeds of how Catholic and recovery came about. So it's going to come into the next question, which is, you know, how did uh, Catholic and recovery come about? Like, I'm assuming, you know, a lot of your personal experience and, you know, the relationships that you formed um, played a vital role, I'm sure. Um, anything else that you can, you know, share about how you created this nonprofit? 
Yeah, um, I think there were, you're right. There were a lot of seeds that were planted. You know, I found new life, not necessarily like looking for it in the church, but that's just where it, where it was. And, and so for that, I don't know that the word revert is really the right definition because I feel like it's just a new life. It wasn't really a reversion back to an old life. This is, we're talking new life and, and a really new character. And um, praise God for that. And so I found, you know, that by one day at a time, attending recovery meetings and trying to just get rid of my self-centered desires or at least pursuits and, and live for something that was beyond just me um, it was incredibly life-giving. And, you know, a couple of actually, you know, as, as I got involved in the church more, you know, as I had grown up Catholic, I'd gone through my sacraments, but I was finding myself a little bit envious of people who were making the adult decision to become Catholic. Like they were really taking ownership of their faith. And, you know, kind of regretting the fact that I had just gone through the motions as a kid and, um, you know, didn't necessarily pursue my faith so much. But, you know, with a little bit of perspective and probably some nudges first from some people close to me, I recognized that as I was working through the 12 steps of addiction recovery, which really was a um, dying to self and inviting God to, you know, to really dwell within me. Um, that I was claiming my faith, that I was really living the sacramental life and found a lot of great overlap between the 12 steps and the sacraments. A couple of years later, I, you know, I wouldn't know it when I was beginning this website, catholicandrecovery.com. But I was, you know, so I began sharing experience, strength and hope, just writing about my experience, both in the church and in recovery and sharing some wisdom that I found along the way. Um, recognizing that the church could learn a bit from the fellowship and really the meeting people where they're at nature of uh, 12-step recovery. And also that a lot of people who were in recovery were hungry for a deeper relationship with their higher power and keeping things general in 12-step re recovery secular groups um, is, is really necessary to keep that a very open kind of uh, open door and much people like myself, you know, where once we find God in some general terms, want a little bit more definition. And, you know, so many people coming back to the church of their faith or just seeking a relationship with Jesus Christ as a result of finding, you know, the miracles of God through recovery. It was clear that there was something that, you know, I was looking for more. Other people were looking for more as well. So began just writing um, some articles or some blogs on our website, catholicandrecovery.com. That turned into some speaking engagements where I was, you know, sharing on podcasts such as this, or, um, you know, a couple of written, just locally speaking at churches and sharing some experience, strength and hope. I, I found that the best part of that was when I shut up and when other people had the chance to share their experience, either around their own personal recovery or the challenges that they're having with a loved one who is struggling with an addiction or perhaps finding recovery from an addiction, that, that people were hungry for a space that invited the Holy Spirit and recognized um, God as the, the Trinitarian God of our faith um, and where they could share about, you know, their relationship with their mother Mary or um, devotions to Catholic saints, not as an alternative to other 12 step recovery groups, but as a supplement to 12 step recovery groups. So we started our first Catholic in recovery meeting at St. Joseph cathedral, downtown San Diego in January, 2017 and have been adding Catholic and recovery groups locally since then. We have now about 35 different groups in 10 different states around the country, have a variety of virtual meetings now per the pandemic over the last nine months. We have a Catholic and recovery meeting every day, Monday through Sunday, on some cases more than one. 
And those are general recovery groups, groups available for people with a variety of addictions, compulsions, and unhealthy attachments. We often think first of alcohol and drugs, but so much more than that. Compulsive overeating, restricted eating, such as bulimia and anorexia, um, gambling addiction, lust-related addiction, both men and women, also codependency, you know, compulsive spending or debting, the family impact of addiction, all people just hungry and looking for the church first um, for, for help and for healing, and in some cases not being able to find that. And so really found that this was you know, really an essential, uh, something essential that the church needs to embrace. And not necessarily that they need to embrace our program per se, but that discussions around addiction recovery, mental health, and seeking Jesus Christ as our healer, um, and, and really framing our cultural attitude around that, that, you know, the church is just is a bunch of sinners who are going to, who are just seeking spiritual progress one day at a time. We know what spiritual perfection looks like, and we can move closer to that, but expecting that from ourselves um, is uh, can be uh, fruitless sometimes. Yeah, that's, that's real powerful. I think, um, you know, the 12 step model, uh, you know, is evidence based. You know, the American Psychological Association recognizes it. And overall, when you just said all that, just the, the evidence based treatment plus the the gospel working together is, is is so powerful and i like to see mental health collaborate together with the faith i don't want to see i don't like to see just faith alone type excuses or like hey we should just pray about it but like no we actually have intellect and a will that we need to collaborate with with medicine to find you know um cures and be healed of like different addictions and stuff like that so uh, that was really powerful what you just shared um so my next question revolves around the 12-step model i know you you've mentioned that uh, a few times during this conversation and you've been like a recipient of the the 12-step recovery model so what is it and how does it lead to freedom um from attachments yeah um so I, I appreciate your your understanding on this topic. I yeah, it's, you, um, so thank you. Um, the twelve step recovery model is really one that recognizes addiction as a disease, and that is a disease much like if someone has um, a cancer or is sick with the flu that they need medication, they need medicine, and so the medicine that is the twelve twelve step approach is um, one that requires fellowship. It requires faith. And it leads to freedom. And so um, the 12 steps really, you know, it was began, the first 12 step group was Alcoholics Anonymous. It was began in the 1930s by two men, Bob, uh, Dr. Bob and a guy named Bill Wilson. And as it began, really, they recognized that, you know, they were alcoholics themselves. People just at the time were pretty much just threw their hands up in the air when they had an alcoholic. This is a hopeless case. And people just didn't recover from from alcoholism, except for in the cases of like miracles. And so they they found that if they were working with other alcoholics, that they were finding freedom from their own addiction and their own attachment to alcohol. And so the solution is really getting out of ourselves, getting out of our own self-will and seeking the will of God. And that begins with the first step, admitting our powerlessness over fill in the blank, alcohol, drugs, food, gambling, sex, lust, that our lives have become unmanageable. And so this is really a necessary component to break down some really thick barriers of denial that make it challenging for any of us, whether we're an addict or not, to find spiritual growth. Put simply, the 12 steps recognizes there is a God 
and it's not me. And that, you know, oftentimes we just, we live our lives, particularly in the self-obsessed nature of addiction, just being our own God, God of our own lives. And so we need to stop playing God and, um, and try to, but that's not, that's, that's much easier said than done. The 12 steps puts, you know, we put, we put this on paper. We really lay out what are the consequences of my behavior. And then in step, in the second step, in the third, and then in the third step, we seek, we seek God as our means for, uh, for relieving insanity and then make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to him. Now, making that decision is different than executing. So we execute that decision by doing a thorough moral inventory of ourselves in step four, which very much like the preparation for a confession or even a general confession, um, where this you know includes some inventory of our resentments, not so that we can reinforce them, but so that we can get over them and recognize our part in our resentments. We're really cleaning up our own side of the street. Also recognizing fears and other sexual um, deviance that might come along with it. <clears throat> we share that with God, ourselves, and another human being in the fifth step, much like confession. In steps six and seven, we humbly ask God to remove whatever defects of character stand in our way of serving him and others. And then in steps eight and nine, we make direct amends to those people that we've harmed except for when to do so would injure them or others. So those steps four through nine, really the fullness of the sacrament of reconciliation, the preparation, the confession, the humbly asking God to remove these defects of character, and then the penance, but true human penance, which seeks true um, human unity. And uh, it's such a beautiful thing. And the preparation for that, including prayer and um, and asking God's help. And then in steps 10, 11, and 12, we maintain relationship with God by through prayer and meditation and also by um, really seeking our daily bread, much like in the Eucharist. We, we need daily action to maintain um, what we found. And then in step 12, having had a spiritual awakening, uh, we carry the message to others and practice these principles in all of our affairs. Much like in the Sacrament of Confirmation, we're bestowed these gifts of the Holy Spirit but not just so that we might enjoy them for ourselves, but so that we can go and make disciples of all nations. And, you know, I, I recognize that, you know, we talk often in the church, we're losing people. And, you know, what better way to evangelize than to just meet people in oftentimes this place of, we'll call it desperation, but at least this place of openness to something new and um, in a place where God can really work miracles in their lives. And so anyone that's struggling with an attachment to something not of God, that's keeping them distant and keeping them, uh, distant from God and other people, um, the 12 steps is a solution that that it helps people, not just with addictions, but people with all sorts of different attachments and challenges. And from what I know about the 12-step uh, model, it's it's like non-denominational, right? Like you described like the, I guess you've, you've adopted it and brilliantly like adapted it to like the Catholic perspective but it's like really you know just a higher power recognizing like you have to submit yourself to a higher power not this not the christian concept of god or you know muslim concept is just you have to have the knowledge to know that you are not your own god like you said yeah and that higher power can can be interpreted in a variety of ways some people have problems with this which you know is um, I think giving people the opportunity to define their higher power wherever they're at, you know, it doesn't have to stay that way. But a higher power can also be the group, a group of people who mm-hmm. can do more than we can. And, you know, so oftentimes just kind of surrendering our will is really the, the important part there. And, yes, I've adapted that. I've kind of translated that into a Catholic perspective and, and write more about that in my book, The Twelve Steps in the Sacraments, A Catholic Journey Through Recovery. Um, but, yeah, you 
Absolutely. Yeah, that was good. Yes. I, that was really good. I love I love how you you put like the Catholic spin on it. That's really good. Um, so my next my next question is: you highlighted this um, in the first or the question previously about um, you 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 support local parishes within the California area, and I think you said ten other states. Yeah, we've got Catholic and recovery groups sprouting all over California, Oregon, Nevada. Minnesota, Michigan, Ohio, Louisiana. Okay, nationwide. So how do y'all, how do you guys support parishes in what way? Do you give them like resources or you hold the lectures, of course, or like the meetings? Uh, Yeah, so what ways do you support parishes? Yeah, people reach out to us seeking to start a Catholic and Recovery Fellowship in their local community. And then we provide all the necessary resources to hold a meeting. And to maintain a meeting, you know, our, our re- those include some physical things, books, tokens, um, meeting guidelines, the um, really the physical things that we use to, for the meeting. And then each week also, we, um, we provide weekly meeting reflections, which tie together scripture from the upcoming Sunday Mass readings with recovery principles and liturgical themes. And so there's just kind of this general um, sense to launch us into open discussion, which is very honest and humble in nature. And, um, and so we provide, we, you know, we support those local leaders um, to, to just open up a place to, to allow people to find others who are in recovery. And from that, you know, they work with, with individuals and, you know, fellowship and companionship happens and, and then lives are changed. And um, it's, it's so awesome. And to, to really see, you know, people come in and, and you can see it in their faces. Oftentimes people have no experience in recovery whatsoever. In some instances, some people have been in recovery for quite some time and are, and are finding their way back into the church or to the church in the first time. We've walked with several people who have been baptized into the church, who have returned back to the church, made the sacrament of reconciliation for the first time in over 50 years. So some really awesome, um, powerful stories of God not being done with people yet and just, you know, still keeping them in his grip. Um, and yeah, it's been, a, it's been just a joy for me to, to see that all happen. I like you said lives are changed and you said God is not done with people yet. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's what the God we serve right there. So this last question, and you just spoke about this just now, you know, like, in what ways have you seen, you know, lives uh, transformed um, by like the, the help that you give them or that your organization provides? Yeah, this, um, I mean, there's so many just to, to that, that I'm, Grateful and really, a, it's a gift for me to to walk with because you know when I'm when people are when their lives are changing, my life is changing. God's not done with me yet either, and He's not, certainly not done with you yet, and He's not done with your listeners yet. And um, and so I'd say one that comes to mind is a gentleman that I mentioned before. He um, had been away from the church for fifty years. He his last his last memory at the church was um, at the age of fifteen. He was. Um, breaking into cars at a local parish and the nuns had called the cops on him and he was you know, done with the church from there. Lived a very colorful life, was rolling with the, I think the hell's angels and just a, 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 a life filled with drugs, sex and rock and roll. And then got sober um, about 25 years ago plus and um, got sober, started just practicing Buddhism and was really is in, in practicing a Buddhist lifestyle with people in recovery and uh, going on a bunch of retreats. A couple of years ago, the, uh, a Buddhist monk handed him a book by Thomas Merton, which really planted a seed for him to come back to the, to the faith of his childhood, the Catholic church. And so he started, you know, this, he was, he was exploring, he was, 
is God was not done with him yet. And so he had reached out over after a couple of years of receiving this book and praying and, and discerning, reached out to a local pastor who he shared a lot of this, you know, his kind of his colorful story with him over a voicemail, never heard back from the pastor and then reached out to me and seeing that we had a Catholic and recovery meeting locally and just, you know, shared his story, came to a meeting. We got, we had pizza together before his first meeting just to get to know each other a little bit. A couple of weeks later, it was Lent and we were going to be all going to a parish penance service after our meeting. Um, the meeting being in the basement of the church, we we're going to go up to the penance service afterwards. And maybe a, a week before that, he came to me and said, Scott, I haven't, I haven't been to the sacrament of reconciliation over 50 years. Like, I have no clue what I'm doing. What, what do I do? I said, well, you know, if a penance service might not be the best place to share everything. You, you know, there's a bunch of people online. And, but it, it's at least a good place to begin and to start planting the seed and to hopefully, you know, perhaps set a date for a fuller confession later on with, with a pastor. And, um, and so he did that, just that and, you know, returned to the church is now um, discerning, becoming a deacon in the, in the church and just live, it's living this life that is full of the spirit. And I'm just so blessed to, to be walking alongside of him. You know, I think of another, another person who we've met virtually over the last nine months. We've had a lot of, we have virtual meetings throughout the week. And, you know, the pandemic has been made it challenging for people to find freedom from a variety of addictions. Isolation and loneliness are no friend of the addict or alcoholic. And so um, being able to connect with people in this time has been really a pleasure as well and a gift. Um, I'm thinking of a woman in Southern California who um, was just at their lowest um, in March and in April came and found us. Um, she's now, uh, I think she just celebrated 60 days of sobriety. She's had a few falls. Um, but she's also, her dad has been visiting and, um, and she's mending relationships with her father and, um, just, just new life opening up. And, you know, this stories like that are, are, are pretty commonplace, but it all starts oftentimes with this fear, shame, and this idea that, you know, maybe I think I'm, my problems are a little bit too unique for God to help me. Um, but you know, God is the God of all of us and, um, and wants what's best for us, has great plans for us. Yep, that's definitely powerful. Uh, this is you're doing some transformative work right there, and you know to come back to the sacrament of reconciliation after 50 years uh, is a testament of how you know God is working through individuals. And um, I know we keep saying this, but he's not he's not done with us yet, and he's continually he's continually writing his story on each and on each of our hearts, and so it never ceases. And uh, you, you shared a lot of good stuff this evening, and I wish we could talk about this for hours because um, I think mental health and the gospel and the Catholic Church are essential parts of my life, uh, even though I work in education. But um, yeah, the ties to both mental health and, and the gospel are, are, are passionate issues, I think, uh, are they need to be at the forefront of the church and just at the the forefront of like the local parish and the work that you're doing across state lines and within California is, you know, transforming lives one by one. And we may not see the fruit day one. It may take a few stumbles, but eventually through perseverance, like your life story that you shared, you know, 
God is going to, you know, break those chains of whatever attachment or addiction so that we can find freedom. So definitely, I appreciate you sharing, you know, all this information that you share with us. And uh, may your work that you continue to do with Catholic in Recovery continue to be fruitful and, um, you know, produce, you know, all the great stories and testimonies uh, for people across the, across the, uh, the world to learn from. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Franz. It's been a pleasure joining and discussing. Having this conversation today means a lot. Yeah. So this is going to be this end of this episode of Saintly Witnesses. And you guys, be sure to um, keep Scott in your prayers and the work that he does. And you guys can tune in, um, you know, next week for the next episode. Mm-hmm.